I realize I'm a lone wolf on that one. That's okay. <laughs> glad to be here. Glad to be in San Antonio. Glad that there was no traffic on the way over here. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. What the hell is that? If we could, before I get started, just take a moment of silence for the people who we've lost to this disease for a moment. Thank you. All right. Uh, Well, my name's Tyler. I'm a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic as well. My sobriety date is December 11th of 2014. I just celebrated nine years. And uh, what I'd like to do again, or in addition to that, is I want to get a raise of hands and see how much sobriety we have. So everyone, 24 hours within that range, zero to 24 hours. If you have, if you, if you have that, at least raise your hand. At least. All right. That's okay. If not. All right. 30 days. All right. Yep. At least 30 days. At least 60 days. Okay. At least 90 days. At least six months. At least nine months. At least one year. At least 18 months. At least two years. At least three years. At least four years. Five years. Six years. Seven years. Eight years. Nine years, 10 years, 11, 12. You got your hand up back there? Oh, I thought I saw. Okay, so I think we, we stopped at 11. You took your hand down? 10. Okay. okay, awesome. Well, first of all, congratulations to everybody. And the reason why I like to do that is not to, you know, showcase who has more sobriety than the other individual, but to think about the collective amount of sobriety that we all have at once is astonishing. You know, I'm sure all of us can relate with at some point in time, sobriety was not even an option. Wasn't even something we thought about, you know, and I've known a lot of people who have passed away from this disease who can no longer make that attempt, you know, and so to be sitting here with everybody who has some kind of sobriety time is a blessing. And so I remember when I was younger in sobriety, I would look at these people who had two years, three years, four years, you know, I was like, man, I can't wait to be there. And I realize now after being sober for nine years that, you know, getting to nine years was totally impossible without the first eight and 364 days. You know, that 30 day chip is just important as day 29 before you got the 30 day chip, you know, meaning that there is no other place to get to other than right here where you're at, you know, so for however, however much sobriety time that you have today, I congratulate you, and I'll tell you it's the most fucking important day of your life, and it's not going to be better than the next and not better than the previous that you already have, okay? So now that we're in the moment about today, whenever I got sober, y'all, um, well, first of all, I could say this, that, that getting sober was real easy and staying sober was real tough, okay? Now, staying sober, once I was introduced to this program of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is, uh, you know, the 12 steps that I work and I've been to many different fellowship meetings, but these 12 steps that are on that wall over there usually, oh shit, they're behind me too. Okay. I'm right on that wall over there. Um, staying sober since I've honestly worked the steps has been the easiest thing I've ever done as far as trying to stay sober. You know, before I was introduced to the work, it was, you know, bite my, you know, bite down on my mouth guard and, 
uh, just make it one more day. And sometimes, don't get me wrong, it can be a little tough going, but I haven't even had the thought about drinking or drugging since I've gotten sober. And I mean that. You know, none of it sounds appealing. None of it sounds like the right answer. And I promise you that has been true. My sobriety has not been perfect. Okay. I know Adair praised me a little bit about always doing the right thing. Guys, I've not done the right thing at all times. You know, I'm human just like y'all. I'm sure we all got inventory, we write, you know, and faults that we admit and amends that we make. Okay. And so whenever I started seriously doing this, I, I was actually shocked at how easy it was just because of the terror that I had been through from drug addiction. The first thing I want to say is I'm definitely like y'all. Okay. Uh, I got sober at 17 and my addiction and my alcoholism definitely took me to a place where I didn't think I would make it to 21 and I stopped caring, you know, from 13 to 17 years old, it was uh, weed. And then what is that shit? The spice, the K2 was cool. Cause I was on probation. I couldn't smoke weed. And then it was, uh, the dark web. And then it was LSD and then it was heroin. And then it was heroin in a needle. And then it was methamphetamines and methamphetamines in a needle, of course. And, um, you know, one attempt to stay sober and, you know, well, I guess uh, many attempts to stay sober, but, you know, been to treatment before. And, and I thought when I was in treatment that I would just never do it again because I thought if the, the problem was me or the drugs. And so if you take the drugs out of the system and out of the way, well, now I should be good, you know. Well, it turns out I was not good and I was not okay. And I got uh, drunk very quickly and I got high very quickly. So the six months between my first legit attempt, I guess you could say, and then like my next stint of recovery and, and treatment and getting introduced and I got the same sponsor and all that, that six months was probably the longest six months of my life. I mean, it was super difficult. Those days were long. Those nights were long. Uh, I didn't know where I was getting food, food from. I didn't know where I'd sleep. You know, it was, uh, it was cold, you know, in Texas. It was cold towards the end of that, back when it was cold in December. And... Uh, <laughs> And then, and then I got sober and I went to treatment and I got to it, you know, and I got a sponsor. And like for the first time, I didn't care what I had to do to get sober and, and I would do it, even if I didn't understand it. You know, thankfully, there's people in this room and in my life and here you get here available for everybody, you know, to answer any kind of questions that you have. Because the truth is, is like this shit's confusing, at least can be, you know, I don't know about y'all, but like for me, it was all new information. You know, what the hell's inventory? I didn't know that. I didn't know what resentment meant. I had to be explained what all of this stuff was and how to do it. But you know what? The, the difference from the first time I tried and the second time I tried was that I did it. Regardless of what I knew, regardless of what I didn't know, if, if I had questions, I asked them and I just tried my best. And I'm telling you, like the results came, you know, and they have steadily proven to to be the right thing to do as far as expecting any kind of result. You know, and I mean, I've been working the 12 steps for nine years now, you know, and they say like insanity is uh, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And like, shit, dude, I've done the same thing over and over again. I've gotten a different result every single fucking time. You know, you tell me what that is. And so a part of that is because I change, you know, going back to what I said about I thought if you just take the drugs out, then I'd be fine. Turns out the problem's me. You know, what happens is. As I get older, and I'm not saying going from a teenager to an adult, you know, to be a middle age and, and a grandpa or whatever, but like just as we all age, we evolve, you know, our ego evolves. And so whenever I write inventory or I talk to my sponsor or a, another member of recovery about something that's going on, like my ego has already transitioned to look completely different than it was the first time I'd already talked about it. 
You know, so there's always new work to do. And I don't mean to put any kind of pressure on you, but it's just the one thing that I found that the different result that comes from doing the same thing is actually a better and better and better result. Because if my ego is going to keep growing as, at the rate that it does, my recovery also has to grow. It just does, you know. And so something that I realized a, a couple years into sobriety, um, I don't want to spend too long on just uh, early sobriety, but I really, I really thought that like the first four years or so was going to be the rest of my life. In the sense of like that same amount of joy I got or whatever. And I don't know if like it's because my hormones were imbalanced or what. But that just that just wasn't the case. Um, a lot of it was tied up into, uh, I wouldn't say for a, for a lack of effort on my end with, with doing the work. Um, but I found myself struggling with, I guess, with being human. You know, there's a part in this book. That I want to that I want to read, and it says, "If you are as seriously as alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle of the road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible. Sorry, it's hard to read in the dark. Hold on. And if we had passion in the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could. The other was to accept spiritual help. Now." If you were placed, if you were as seriously alcoholic as we were, if you were as seriously selfish as we were, you'd have a really good understanding both before and after uh, you ceased drinking or drugging. You know, and what I realized around four to five years in was that, holy shit, I need help. You know, and so if I think about this for a second, there's no middle of the road solution. Guys, I tell you, I was four or five years sober. Shoot, how old was I? Was that four years ago? I was about 23, I guess. And um, and I was so confused, you know, I was confused why I was getting angry writing. You know, I know I talked about writing uh, a lot of inventory and stuff, but I was still confused. Why am I still writing inventory on this? You know, it started to get discouraging because I thought something was wrong with me. And so whenever I take a look at this, if you are seriously selfish as we were, we believe there's no middle of the road solution. There was a part where um, I didn't want to call my sponsor, you know, and I didn't want to meditate because I was tired of doing it. You know, I thought I was um, defected. You know, I thought I was supposed to be perfect for sure. But I realized around the four to five year mark that I struggle with this selfishness on a deep, deep level. Like it wasn't just drinking and drugging anymore. You know, those have been removed. Why am I still not enjoying my life? You know, now, especially like four to five years in. And, you know, I've been going to the meetings and everyone tells me, oh, Tyler, we love you. And, um, you know, this is Tyler, and they say the same shit fucking Adair said, you know, and I'm just like, guys, I don't see it. Live in my head for a night. I don't see it. You know, and I've written so much inventory to where I'm confused uh, months later, and it's back, and gosh, dude, sometimes that inventory can be hard to write and hard to go through. At least that was my experience, you know, after being sober for a couple years. And so what I tried to do, not necessarily stop writing inventory, stop calling my sponsor, but I thought I had better ideas. You know, I thought I had better ideas than my sponsor. I thought I had better ideas than the meditation. I thought I had thought I had a lot of better ideas. And so I had a massive fucking experience with this middle of the road solution. Dealing with my selfishness. Dealing with the stuff that without drugs and alcohol, I still deal with. You know, the reason that my life is the way it is is not because of drugs and alcohol. It's because I'm a selfish individual. And that looks a whole you know, it has a bunch of faces, right? And I got to face those, face those faces, 
<laughs> but I found myself at four or five years sober where life was becoming impossible, and I had a sip of alcohol in five years. You know, I didn't smoke weed in five years. I didn't even thought about heroin, right? But yet, life is becoming impossible. And then there's no return to human aid. I bought the things. I've been with the crowd and, you know, got the girlfriends and all this stuff, got the job, made the money. And yet I still feel like this. Like, what the hell's going on? You know, usually heroin solves those problems, but I can't do heroin anymore. I know that's not an option. I don't want to, you know. So what, what else is there? Well, keep trying on your own. You'll find out what you need. That's what I found out. Because I went through this, we had two alternatives. One was to go under the bitter end, and I'm talking running that dry. You know, just try being in a better mood. Just have a good day. Just be grateful or whatever, right? Do the meditation. Get that spiritual experience. But, you know, for me, it was like, I think I know what a spiritual experience looks like. And so when I don't get that in 10 minutes of meditation, I'm wondering what the hell's wrong with me. You know, I just listened to this guided meditation for 20 minutes. <laughs> Is the magic number at 22? Like, what is it? Like, let me figure it out. And step three tells us that we can turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood them. And here I am trying to take my life into my own hands yet again at five years sober, right? Wondering why the hell do I feel like this and what the hell's wrong? Same thoughts happened whenever I was 17 shooting dope. So whenever I arrive at this this spot (laughs) where I realize... Maybe I don't have the answer. Maybe this step three stuff about turning my will and my life over to God is uh, relevant at all times. You know, if you think about it, your will and your life, your will has to do with what you want. Your life has to do with what's going on. If I can turn that over, then I don't have nothing to argue about. You know, and someone asked me, well, what the hell? Shouldn't this be a three-step program then? (laughs) Sounds right. To be honest, that was the most fair argument I've ever heard about the 12 steps from anybody. I was sitting in treatment. I was working there. And a guy was in there, and we're going over the third step. He's like, why do we got to do other, you know, the 4 through 12? If this is it, why don't I just do this? And, you know, you hear about, like, the three-step cycle and all that. And I was like, man, that's very fair. Uh, turns out there's a whole lot of action that's left, right? A whole lot of action. I mean, you're, what, 25% way through the rest of the program? You got a long way to go, you know, and there's a lot more to discover, and there's a lot more to experience. I mean, hell, if you only worked steps one through eight, you ain't even been in front of another person besides your sponsor yet. You know, you started getting in front of people in nine. There's a whole lot more to go. And so whenever it came down to this part to accept spiritual help, I'm telling you, I was five years sober. And, uh, <laughs> and so I got a new sponsor, and, uh, and then I drowned in a pool because I was trying to do a meditation because I was trying to get spiritually connected. Again, I took this into my own hands, right? And I did this thing called Wim Hof. You know, I'm, maybe some of y'all are familiar with it. Yeah, show of hands. No, just me. All right, cool. Well, don't do it. Don't do it in water. <laughs> don't do it in water. There's some science behind that. That you know, you may you may end up drowning and passing out. And uh, I wasn't supposed to live. You know, I got I, I ended up living by definitely the grace of God. And <laughs> my sponsor, he. Uh, he thought I just bailed on him. I was like, no, nah, man, I just died. You know, like in, in sobriety, I just died. And uh, so this is all revitalized for me at this point. Um, it doesn't really change my life. You know, a lot of people have these traumatic things just in general, not even members of recovery. A lot of people have, have these happen to them. And um, 
and changed their life forever. You know, yeah, don't get me wrong, I was crying and, and all that, and I was extremely grateful to still be breathing. I tell you, man, I walked out of that hospital just as grateful as I did before I got there, before I knew I got there, I guess. You know, it, it didn't, I didn't have any kind of like miraculous discovery. I, wouldn't, I didn't have this newfound appreciation for life. I did realize I was not immortal. You know, I definitely realized uh, how mortal I was, <clears throat> but I kept on. Like it was nothing. And everyone asked me all these questions and it was just no big deal to me. And I don't know if that's me like trying to cover up some trauma and just not talk about it. I don't know. Um, But I just kept going like nothing happened, you know. And so I worked all the steps again and it was great. And still I found myself in a place of uh, discontentment. I don't know if anyone can relate with that, being sober and discontent. (laughs) Part of the reason why we got high, right? Well, I was sober again, and it was uh, six-something years in, seven years in, and, man, I just I just felt like I had a lack of, of empathy from, from the members of the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I heard it when I talked to them, and I talked to it, or I talked about it with other people who tried to give me some perspective about it, but I was treated in a way that kind of blew my mind. You know, and this is six, seven years in, and I'm getting cut off and in conversation, and they're, you know, oh, yeah, that's, that's jealousy. You know, I'm talking to people who long, a lot longer sober than I have been, and they're treating me, um, I don't want to say like, a, they're just treating me a certain way where I didn't feel the love, you know, and it was uh, this and that, and then boom, hang up, and maybe we'll talk again. And it was like that over and over and over again. I was like, okay, not really having a good time here. And so I was like, I'm out. Not I'm going to get high, but I was like, I don't want to do the program anymore. You know, people tell me that if I don't meditate, I'm going to die. You know, and I'm scared to fucking not meditate. I'm scared to not ride a nightly. I'm scared not to 10-step when someone steps on my fucking shoelace. I'm sorry, I really shouldn't be swearing. I forget we have kids here. I apologize. Okay. <laughs> All right. So there, there was this moment in time around seven to eight years sober where I was like, guys, I'm not going to do this. And, you know, I don't think I'm going to get high. And you name it. I mean, I just had, I just stepped out. Adair doesn't know this. Adair said all these nice things to me. And I was like, he's going to be shocked whenever I tell him what happened, you know, a year and a half ago. And so I stepped out. I wasn't scared or anything. You know what, guys? I felt relieved. I felt relieved because the lack of pressure to be a better person every single day was no longer there, right? And all I was left with was my own drive to be better, right? And what was I doing? Was I still 10-stepping? Sure. Was I still meditating? Sure. What was left was just this self-driven ambition to be a good person. I talked about that a little bit earlier. You know, around eight years, say I'm at nine now, around eight, a little over eight years sober, here's where I was. I was restless, I was irritable, I was discontent. Everything bothered me. I wasn't necessarily saying it's your fault and it's your fault and it's your fault, but everything bothered me. Hadn't written a piece of inventory in a very long time. You know, was I meditating? Yeah. Because I did want that practice in my life because it did help, right? But it wasn't for anything other than to maybe just relax, 
right? It wasn't to find out how the next 24 hours of my day might look spiritually driven. You know, there was no intention other than to relax, right? And so with stepping out of recovery, thank God I didn't get high. But with stepping out, I realized one thing is that I still need help. I promise you I thought I could do it. And I didn't shut the door on AA forever, right? I felt like I was logical enough to, to know that I might come back. But I had no plans to. My life sucked. And I had done a lot of things from seven to seven years to that point. I had done a lot of things. Like I started a business that I was making a lot of money. You know, I got uh, engaged, which is still going to happen. I'm going to get married next year. Um, yeah, th- thank you. She's great. She couldn't be here. She wanted to be. But I had, I had, like, if you looked at my life from the outside, it would be fantastic. But none of that matters whenever you're spiritually messed up. Whenever there's a part of you that you just need a little bit of extra help for. And I've done some awesome therapy and I've gotten help, you know, on a certain level that someone had to be qualified to take me to, you know. And still there I was. With every belief system in my mind that in my perspective, my life was still not what I wanted it to be. The issue is, is if I stay in that perspective long enough, what other route is there to go down other than get high? At some point when all else fails, you only go one of two ways. Right? You either ask for help or you ask for dope. Right? That is my truth. I'm not saying that's yours. That is for each and every person to decide for themselves. You know, but... It's like when you are getting high, what reason do you have to be here? You know? You have every reason in the world to get sober. It was terrible. It was frightening. It was cold. Maybe. Maybe it was hot. Because we're in Texas. You didn't have a place to live. Didn't have food to eat. Every reason to get help if the opportunity presented itself. So there I was, a multitude of years sober. No drink, no drug, a lot of things, and still not satisfied. Right? I need help. That's what I discovered. I am not immune to my own thoughts and my own beliefs, taking me to a place where I really do look at those two options and decide what I'm going to do. Right? Now, thankfully, again, I, I never considered actually getting high, but that thought crept up in my mind. I was like, what the hell is that? You know, like a little squeak just in my head. I was like, okay, that's concerning. Enough of that will make me want to reach out, dude. I'm serious. And thankfully, I got people to reach out to. I wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for the fellowship at all. I've met so I met a, a a person who's not in recovery, you know, not afflicted with drug addiction or alcoholism, and they said, "Tyler, how do you have so many friends? How do I how do I make friends?" Like, girl, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't know, right? I come here and I know one thing's for certain that the majority of us of us share one common denominator. That's why we're here, you know. So I can walk into a room in San Antonio. Right before Christmas, 
and know that we all have something in common, maybe. And that's the cool thing about the fellowship. So you don't have to wonder if you're like the other person. I mean, we could all have different beliefs about different things, but we could still all connect on something that matters, right? Whatever you believe in, let me help you put you in a position to go live that, whatever that may be. You could be on your own path, but goddamn, there ain't nothing that's going to get in the way more than getting high and getting drunk. We're dealing with something serious. On that topic of dealing with something serious, through that, through that time where I felt like I wasn't really getting the love from people anymore, that I was like a phone call to them or, or whatever, through that time, I realized there's a much more careful, careful approach to take with people, both in recovery and outside recovery. You know, people who are never going to be here because maybe they're not a drug addict and an alcoholic. People who relapse but maybe never come back because they don't deal with as serious of a problem as maybe we did, right? Um, And then people who are still here. I mean, I've talked, guys, I've talked to so many people who have felt the same way. Who have felt the same way. And what I realize is every transaction that you have with an individual is way more important than you think it is. It's way more impactful than you think it is. It means more to them than you will ever understand, both on the positive and the negative side. So if you want to flip off at somebody, it might affect them differently than you think. They might remember that for a really long time. If you want to be helpful and say thank you or you're welcome or give them a ride, it might mean more to them than you can ever imagine. And I realize that there's a very, very, very careful approach to take with every individual. Both in these rooms, people who haven't came to these rooms yet, people who have left these rooms intentionally, and people who will never be here because they don't have our problem. Right? And so that's something that I just wanted to share because uh, I really feel like that's not really talked about, but I wonder why whenever people call me talking about other people, like, it's not discussed. Like, where's our approach? Where, where's our responsibility? You know, to be kind, to be compassionate, to be loving, understanding, where's our responsibility at? Maybe we won't push people out. I'm not saying it's our fault, but maybe we can do a slightly better job. And I've seen it. I've seen it in Austin. Okay, I don't know how y'all San Antonio folk are. I've seen it in Austin. I've heard the complaints in Austin, and people ask me, why didn't they tell me that? I like how you talk to me, you know? So we're dealing with a serious thing called drug addiction, called alcoholism. We always need help. That's what I found out. Maybe that's not your truth, but that's what I found out. Thankfully, I didn't get high. And because of that serious thing that we're dealing with, there might be a better approach to take with those steps that are on the wall, with the conversations that you have and I have with each individual. I'd really challenge y'all to look at that. I'm not saying any of y'all are guilty of that. I'm really not. I don't want you guys to think that I'm coming after you. I'm, I'm really not. It's just what I've heard. It's what I've seen. and It's what I've been through. Shit, I think everyone thought that they could make a change at one point, right? Anyways, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to share just a little bit of my story. Thank you, Derek, for being such a good friend over the years and inviting me to do this. And I thank y'all for listening. Thanks.